0: Podcast with myself, Adam Skill, and my ever beautiful co-host Sean Osimbo. This is a continuation of our hashtag women's sports Get series where we take a very deep look into the amazing things being done in women's sports and for women's sports by the amazing women out there who do not mind going above and beyond to bring down all the barriers and to let people know that men. And women do deserve to be in sports and do deserve excellence. Sean, who do we have for our audience?
1: Adam, I'm so excited to introduce um, Arianna Crisione, who I met in Greece. But it's not even about just us meeting, but it's about what she has done for what we keep on talking about, women's sports, women's football uh, across the world. She has played uh, for some of the biggest teams in the world. I think that is a dream for so many young girls who are looking to, you know, step into the world of football. And also she's the director of women's football at Next Sports. I'm so humbled to have her on the podcast. I can't wait for her to just share her wisdom uh, with the rest of especially the young ladies who keep on listening to us and who keep on asking these questions and who want to, you know, just venture into the world of sports, into the world of football. So, welcome to the podcast, Ariana. Um, I'm so humbled to have you here. So, just briefly uh, to our viewers, who's Ariana and how did you get to be part of this whole football world? Wow, that's a, I think that's more a complex question than uh
2: than it seems super easy. First, thanks for having me here. I'm, I'm really excited to join and, and have these conversations and, and see where we go with them. Who is Ariana? Ariana, oh, well, I guess we'll just go back to the beginning. I'm originally from the United States. I was born and raised outside Los Angeles, California, and um, I developed my passion for football there. A lot of little girls play football. Nobody in my family had ever played, but my older sister started, and I wanted to be just like her, so I started to play football too. And Mm -hmm. both of my parents uh, were very... Open to it and exciting, and and we're very supportive from the very beginning for both of us to play sports. And I think that really helped the development of my career because both of my parents, from my, my mother and my father, uh, were very adamant that women could play sports and that we could be as strong and as tough and as mean and get dirty on the field. And then we could come off the field, and my mom would wash off our scraped knees and put us in a cute dress and, and show us how to walk in heels. So. We had this really awesome vision of what it meant to be a woman and a woman could be an athlete and a woman could wear high heels and a dress and go to the dance on Friday night and, and be all of these things. So I'm really thankful to my parents and my family for showing me what they thought a woman could be and, and how sports could be a part of that. Um, from there, I continued to play football and I, went to, I was lucky to go to university playing football. And... And again, because I had really supportive parents in the United States, there wasn't a professional league at that moment. So I packed my bag and and I came to Europe and I've never left. I played 15 years, but thanks to supportive parents and knowing that if I wanted to go home, I could, uh, I think it helped me to stay here as long as possible. My parents would come over and watch games. They would call after games. They would wake up early in the morning to try to find an OTT platform that were playing some of those games, which wasn't always easy 15 years ago. Uh, But they did it. And and yeah, I think that's really their support and their understanding that I could be whoever I wanted to be and they were going to support me was was how I got to where I am today. And they're still very supportive. Um, They were also very big on education, though. So as much as football was very important, education was just as important, if not more important. And so I went to the top universities in the United States who are also good football schools, but they had to be good academic schools. My parents were very adamant on my sister and I getting education. Uh, I finished my degree, so I have a university degree. And because of their influence of understanding how important education, I've gone back to school numerous times during my football career. So I have a master's in football business. I'm one of the first, well, I am the first woman and one of a very few group of people who have a FIFA diploma in club management um that was a very fun class with FIFA and 30 executive men and again getting to that table and putting my elbows out and and being the only woman was fun for me I don't I don't look at it as bad I don't like being the only woman because I want more women there but if I have to be I I will be and um a couple other courses Harvard so education in sports and supportive parents have always been a huge part definitely where I am today
1: let's talk about your current role right now and I like your your journey and one thing I appreciate about Ariana is that you did not stop with just the plain unit. You decided, you know what? I'm going to throw myself in this. I'm going to help the next generation of upcoming young footballers. I'm going to talk about it. And I like how you highlight in some of the pieces. I get to read them on LinkedIn. I truly love them. Um, talk to us about this current lo- role you have as the director of women's sports, uh, women's football at Next Sports. Um, what does it entail? And what do you aim to achieve with it?
2: Yeah. So at Next Sports, I really work on the business side of women's football. So building blueprints and strategies for sports entities, whether that's a club, uh, a federation, uh, an association, sponsorships, any entity that works with or around sports, we help them really drive their their business aspect and and how they can really make a sustainable plan with their women's section, with their women's team, with their women's um, products. Uh, from activations from a sponsorship perspective to actually writing out a business plan. Um, a lot of my colleagues really focus on digital. So how are they engaging from social media and what is their social, uh, their digital presence look like? So there's a lot of different aspects, but this is where we focus on this broader overall business side of the game. Um, I've always wanted to work in business. I really enjoy business and sales and, and the different aspects. And so I think the biggest issue we have with women's sports is this business side and, and how the clubs and the organizations are developing. So whether that is financial, are they bringing in money? Are they working with their women's team authentically and correctly to to use that with sponsors? Do they have the right structure internally to develop their women's team? Um, are they building out an academy in a grassroots section to get little girls to even want to play football? How are they engaging with the community? All these different aspects are what gets me excited in the development of the game. Um, Quite a few of my colleagues in the past have really gone in the coaching aspect. I absolutely respect coaches. I think they're needed in our game and I think quality coaches are there. Unfortunately, most women don't get the opportunities to get as high as licenses as men. For me, I've never wanted to coach and I've never wanted to go into this aspect. And so I also really want to show women and girls that there's so much more to sports and so many places that we can work that if you want to be a top player, be a top player. And that's amazing. Once your playing career is over, if you want to coach, coach. But if you don't want to do those things and there's other aspects of the game that you like, there's so many roles out there, like media, like if you want to be a lawyer, you can be a lawyer in football. If you want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor in football. Uh, if you like human resources, you can almost any job out there or any career path has um a road into sports. And I think it's really important that girls and women see that this is possible and that those jobs are out there. And so whatever your skill set is, if you really love sports, you can take that into sports and we need to show and give them those pathways.
1: Yeah. And this brings me to my next question, where we've seen totally undeniable growth when it comes to women's sport, you know, attendance, broadcast investment, Uh, but we are still not there yet. We have the likes of, you know, FIFA president coming out to tell broadcasters they need to pay so much more when it comes to the Women's World Cup. I know broadcasters, when it comes to the Men's World Cup, they don't need to be told anything twice. So he keeps on pushing that, pushing that. I've seen um, in the news recently, he keeps on saying, you know what, you guys need to pay more. You guys need to actually appreciate the game, the women's game more. How can the stakeholders capitalize on this? Because people are talking about women's football to be specific. People are, at least for the first time, we're getting to mention the names that will be part of you know, the women's world cup, but other stakeholders are still, you know, still they they up okay. take a risk. They don't want to do that. You you can't yes, do but this is, this is this is
2: also a very complicated topic because while I can respect uh Mr. President's uh, opinion, yes. um he chose to do this what, a month ago?
1: <laughs> That's the thing. The the timeline is so, so, very
2: short, yeah. Uh, most people have already done their broadcasting and their budgets for the year. Um in my personal opinion, FIFA chose to have a Men's World Cup very close to the Women's World Cup, and what a lot of attention yes. was given to the men, and so to be angry a month out uh, is also a little controversial, in my opinion. Not yes. to mention, FIFA put the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, uh, which from a time frame for broadcasters, I can Even also understand. Africa,
1: it's just crazy, yeah.
2: It's very complicated to ask a broadcaster to, and I don't know what those numbers are, so... I can't completely make a a business judgment, but I do find it complicated for broadcasters to put a a lot of money that they probably didn't budget for, so they have to find out somewhere uh, on their revenue sheet where to find this money, let alone, and then put it in for games that are going on in the middle of the night, and how are you going to engage a community that's just starting this visibility. So I don't think it's as simple as saying, okay, women's football is here, now you have to pay for it, We have to give them the right tools to pay for it and the right content. And so with this specific one, I think it's much more complicated than just it's women's football. You should pay for it. It's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. from a business and the end of the day and your Mm -hmm. ROI. It's not that simple. And so... Mm -hmm i don't i haven't seen all the numbers i don't know what they're asking the number
1: the numbers the numbers are crazy because um let's say for the men's world cup france uh as a whole uh they gave out 139 million dollars for the broadcast right uh the guys in france and right now they're offering five percent less less than five percent of that whole amount in italy um, you know, the offer on the table was like one point seven million dollars and now they are that is what they're offering now compared to Qatar, where they gave out like $160, $171 dollars. So there's a huge uh difference in the broadcast. But as you said, it's a very complicated issue and so many things, you know, play when it comes to this. And I I still when I still then talk to other journalists, they're still talking and reeling about Qatar. But I'm like, okay, fine. I love Qatar. It was a wonderful moment uh, for the whole world. But there's also another moment where it's very key. But it's like, so I I totally understand. From your point, I totally get it. There's so many factors that play. Yeah, but I mean, I also
2: think they had been advertising for Qatar for like 12 years. They're they're like The visibility of knowing that Qatar was going to happen and when it was going to happen and and how it was going to happen has been, Mm -hmm. for good or bad, it's been in the news for a very long time. And if you know about women's football, you know that the World Cup was going to happen this summer in New Zealand and Australia. But for most of the population, it probably wasn't until January or February that they realized after the Men's World Cup that now we have a Women's World Cup. And so 100%. When okay. I, think, I think from an organizational and a visibility, I'm not sure everybody did the best job that they could to be promoting you this.
1: You just uh, Actually, I, I just remembered something. So when you when you're on LinkedIn, you can see how the preparations going on, especially if you're connected to the right people who are connected, and you're seeing this post. They are putting out last minute posts. We want this. We want that. And and in Qatar, I remember five months before the, um, five six months before the everything was like literally done, and um, and the that, stadiums. That, yes, except the stadiums. <laughs> it, yet in the middle of everything, uh, us trying to market the Women's World Cup. I just see this post of 2026 World Cup, you know, the one that is happening in the US, Mexico, Canada. Yeah. And they were doing something else. And I was like, okay, FIFA, okay, hold up, hold up. Mm-hmm. You guys, no, 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 you're not doing this right. And they yeah. were at least, you know, they have already started 2026. And I'm like, no, the women, we are here. We we are, we are literally screaming. And, and yeah, like, hey, no,
2: on like, this, I, yeah. yeah. Because they're doing, what did I just see? They're doing the women's trophy tour now, but I, they're doing also some... Some yeah. tour or something in yeah. through the United States in twenty twenty six and and I do agree with you they couldn't just wait three months like it to, happened
1: yeah I saw it but that. can we
2: spotlight the women's team just you know until the end yeah. of August and then yeah. mid August yeah and then move on to the men but no so I mean but at least. I guess we have to always try to find the positive. At least we're putting it there. At least we separate the yeah. rights and we're valuing the women's team. Like, There's so many things that are negative, but there's so many positive and there are steps forward and we are making yeah. steps forward. And so we yeah. do have to acknowledge those steps. Otherwise, yes. we'll get too frustrated and it's too easy yeah. then to to quit. Or I joke that my wall behind me is a brick wall because half the day I spent hitting my head against it. Um <laughs> But, yeah. then, but then I can see my jerseys and, and my friends' jerseys and and then it gives me the motivation, okay, but we we have our own jerseys now. Our names are on our jerseys. What else can we yeah. do and how do we keep pushing forward? I think that this World Cup is better than the 2019 World Cup and the 2019 World Cup is, is better than the 2015 World Cup. And so uh, focusing on these positives and, and the sellout crowds and and the amount of people that are planning to travel to Australia and New Zealand and the amount of people in Australia and New Zealand who have bought tickets and so... A lot of people are angry that that FIFA put the World Cup in Australia, and New Zealand, but I would challenge it that and that this is the world's game and so the world should be able to see it. And so this could open up a new stream of young girls wanting to play football in the Oceania region and possibly in Asia since Australia plays in the Asian part of the Federation. And so sometimes we get too blindsided about what f- football is supposed to be or how much money it's supposed to be making, then in reality the, the point of football is is this game for the world to play and the world to support and, and the world to love. And so getting bogged down also on fi- – the finances are super important and it's what allows us to do it, but we also have to make it open for everybody to participate and everybody to play. And so I think that this is a, a good thing that the game is
1: there too. What I like about the Women's World Cup, and I don't know why stakeholders are not taking advantage, because it has a different demographic. It attracts a different demographic where, you know, you have a lot of families, like the whole family. Uh, tuning that's a good thing about women's football and I feel like that is also the part most investors or anyone who's interested in just you know giving their time money energy into women's football that is a place to start because when you talk when they did some of the research I was reading some time some years ago that is what that is the biggest part of women's football attracting the family setup Um, and and actually people get to watch it in their homes instead of you know going to the pubs and clubs you know Africa we have this thing people go to the clubs and pubs to watch the game, but for the women's game, they actually watch it at home. Uh, So for you, Ariana, what are you looking forward to when it comes to the Women's World Cup? Any exciting thing?
2: I mean, I'm really excited for the level of football that I think is going to be there. Um, I think we might have a a surprise team win the World Cup, which I would love to see a new team win the World Cup for the first time. I think that would be fantastic. Um, I do think that we have more women and families and stuff going to the Women's World Cup-ish. But I would also challenge you because when it comes to the men's World Cup, a lot of women who don't normally watch football get very into football at supporting their country or certain teams. And I think there's more of a cultural that like families or maybe they don't come together to watch it, but children are watching the World Cup. Women and mothers are watching the World Cup. And, and I think sometimes we forget also that there's different demographics that watch women's football and there's men that, that enjoy watching women's football. There's a lot of women who don't have children but enjoy watching women's football and, nice. and we lose out on on focusing on this demographic and, and sometimes I see that I think it's great that we have the commercials like geared towards children and families of if you see it and you can be it. But I wanna see a commercial that's selling me and my girlfriend's beer and and a pizza to watch the game and have a laugh and chat and do what we do and then show me I some love Chanel mm-hmm. purses and and some cool brands and watches or whatever that might be but not just towards kids because i do watch football and i love watching football and you know i'm not buying my four year old something yet i'm not there yet and so where where are these commercials and where are these conversations about not just towards families like it's great that it's families but there's a lot of other demographics and and what about the women who play? Like none of those commercials are geared towards my all my ex colleagues, or the women who aren't participating in the tournament. So I would also love to see a bit more mm-hmm. a change in this. That that we keep those and we keep. If you see it, you can be it. Little boys and little girls can see women playing football. But let let's get some other stuff out there too, and let's embrace the men who watch football and and what that looks like, and and not keep it so okay to just mom this like normal classic family that you're supposed to see what that looks like?
1: There are very many topics. As much as we are dealing with them when it comes to the men's uh, football world, we can also, I know, talk about it in the women's sports because we want to actually avoid, uh, you know, making the mistakes we've seen on the men's side of things. And uh, we're talking about equality, inclusion, diversity. We've been seeing what is happening in the news when it comes to, you know, racism against players in 2023 which is very shocking uh, till now. how important are these topics when it comes to women's sports and how can we overcome all this you know negativity that sometimes comes with the game? I mean I'm not sure we can overcome negativity you have stupid and ignorant
2: people out there they're going to say stupid and ignorant things probably no matter what you do but I think the clubs and the governing bodies have more of a responsibility to shut it down faster. Um, I think more, stronger punishments need to go out there, removing clubs from major tournaments um, at the risk that you don't have a really big club playing. and I'm just going to throw this out there. People are going to be so mad. And it didn't happen at Real Madrid, but let's say it was the opposite and Vinicius had played for a different club. Then Real Madrid can't play in next year's Champions League. And that really quickly is going to make change within the stadium, within those fans, within that but a lot of times that the hard punishments don't come down because money because yeah all the organizations don't want to lose out on money and and i think that's unfortunate i i think football is a great advocate to help social change but i also don't think it's football's responsibility to change the world it also has to come down to government and responsibility and other people as players too. I uh, th- I personally don't believe players are social activists. Players can be social activists if they want to. They can choose to use their voice. But as a player, it is not your responsibility to be a social activist. And 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 I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on athletes to become social activists and and for whatever reason, whether they're shy, whether they're afraid, whether they're uncomfortable, it is not their responsibility to be a social activist. It is their responsibility to to be a good football player. And social activism is a great add-on if they want to. But I think also as a society, we shouldn't be trying to force these athletes to be more than they can be or more than they want to be or more than they just have the capability to be. Because being an activist is, is not the easiest thing and you're going to get a lot of backlash and social media is already an evil, like a very difficult place. So if you add more to that, um so I, I also think as a society, we need to calm down and stop forcing athletes to be activists. They're football players or basketball players or tennis players first. And then if they want to be, they get to be. But but don't push that on them, no matter their sexual identity, their color, their creed, their religion. That's kind of a second entity. Um, and I just think, though, that I think we need to have more open conversations in different countries, because culturally, you know, an issue yeah, that true. might happen here in France might not be an issue in Nigeria or Ghana, and the issues in Ghana might be completely different than, than here in France. Um, and so... The society needs to have open conversations, whether it's, you know, little girls don't become little boys if they play football. That's not how that works. Nor does your sexuality change because you play football. Um, mm-hmm. And these conversations need to happen from pe- medical people who can explain how identity and things like that work. I am not trained in that. Um And sometimes we laugh about what certain cultures think or believe, but that's not my Um, position to laugh about certain cultures or certain beliefs. And it's not me as a Western middle-class white woman to project my beliefs onto another culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Recently I made a trip to Qatar and and the Gulf and, and speaking with women in that region, from my perspective, we look at it that they're quote unquote oppressed. But if you go there, they choose, you know, to dress in a certain way The women choose not to, play sports in front of men, at at times it is their choice and and it is not right for me to say, no, you should wear shorts, you should play football in front of everybody. And I think this is also a societal problem that the more open we get, the more we believe we should all be the same and we're not all the same. Uh, What we can do is have conversations about topics openly and without prejudice and without pointing fingers and telling people they're wrong or and I'm right or vice versa, and have a discussion about, okay, but why do you think this way? And why do I think this way? And maybe we can think the same way, but maybe culturally we're different and we have to accept this
1: also. Yeah. Adam, I would love your thoughts on this. I really like the point you made about us having
0: multiple conversations because I feel like as a society, especially in the West, because the West more, more or less needs or social-cultural conversation that we see much. We are very selective of those things we want to embrace in society, one in general, in sports. Why do I say this? When I read more about the Vinicius junior case, and it's something I've been studying for a while now, and even developed some projects around it, we see that people prefer having conversations on certain vices or certain top topics in sports rather than others. So you see a bit more campaign on, you know, inclusivity with hide um, milk and whatnot. But we don't see a lot of activism which creates social change. Because, you know, you can have online activism, but online activism only just gives you interactions on your Twitter or your Instagram. I can be, for example, not that, not that I am, but I can be a serious racist, see an ad by Nike or Adidas, which is very nice, like it. But it doesn't mean that it's changing so what we see is that people are not willing to invest to go the extra mile for bringing children i like the example he gave that if fans start being raised right and you ban them from certain competition it will put a bit more pressure on those teams right to either get their files to act well or you completely ban them from the stadium. so what we see is that certain viruses are happening. They don't affect the clubs directly. So they can give you what I call a surface level solution or we're oh, so sorry, we're with you. We're here to support you. You know, There are therapists who talk to you with mental health or whatnot. They'll do activations where we see a, a, a big banner, you know, the Liga styles against racism. All of those things, they don't make any difference. It doesn't affect deeply to the extent that A fan will become socially conscious that, hey, this is a player who's performing at his job, at their work. My words can affect them and break them down. How do I then stop it? Right? So So, I always advise players. Okay, sorry, come on. No,
2: but I mean, I think there's, again, there's a deeper societal issue in that stadium. Are you a racist? None of them would have put yes. And individually, if you had a conversation with them, I mean, I don't know, they, when you spoke to them, they probably wouldn't say anything bad. Or when you say, okay, but you, your own team has a black player, would you say that to him? They'd say, no, that's my player. Like, that's my friend, that's whatever. And so it becomes also this, um, this issue that especially, I mean, we've had racism for a very long time, but I think social media and being able to hide in a group makes it more okay, people think it's okay to say certain things. And this is where we have to change no you this is you don't say this like uh it's it's not normal and if you say you're not racist and how can you say these things well it's only in football or I'll, I'm only saying it to help my team so it's okay or what do these look like that that and I don't I'm not a social psychologist or have training in this but how do we start to change this and I 1000% agree with you having a patch on your arm that says say no to racism is not going to help because 99% of the people in the stadium would say I'm not a racist. I say no to racism every day. So, and it's not maybe UEFA is trying to do something, but that's that's not the way to change how people think in, and in society, but it is more open conversations or, you know, it is black players having conversations. Why would you say that? Like, this is how it makes me feel. Or, you know, women, uh, women being told to go back to the kitchen or they're less than or, uh, you know, this is kind of there, but... Sam Kerr scored a goal and she was the top player. She's the most goals scored for Australia. And somebody came out and they wrote well all goals aren't the same. So her male counterpart it was harder for him to score those goals or it took more effort or whatever it is. It doesn't look the same. But all of these little things. How could somebody write that in a newspaper? Like how how is that even normal for somebody to think that these things are okay? And so I don't have a solution on society changing it, but How we deal with racism and how we deal with sexism has to start to change because no man is going to walk up and be like, I'm a total sexist, don't like women, think they suck, but they'll go on social media and say that. So,
1: how do we change this? That's a good question. And, but I hope for us women in the women's world, because we know what we have had to, you know, go through and overcome to get where we are and now, and Because of the strides that have been made even with the women before us, that is even the reason why we can sit down and actually have a conversation about these things because, you know, there are women who pave the way. So, for me personally, I feel like women, we should come together, support each other. Also, as I I always insist on this podcast, we don't just need our our support only. We also need the men's support because I think when it comes to football, I feel like sport is supposed to be a place where you come, relax, enjoy Get a little bit of tension, have banter, laugh, go back home. Like a place where you actually don't think about the reality of what is happening in your life. And I think that is what sport, if you look at it from back in the day, from way before even World War One, that is what it has been doing. I don't know how we go to this point where we complicate issues, but I think with this digital age, we get to interact more with other cultures. And as you said, Ariana, it's more also a societal issue. Because when it comes to what happened to Vinicius, You'd actually see when you go and check some comments, some Spaniards don't think it's wrong. But when you're outside the uh, Spain, you're like, Mm-mm, you guys, you can't see this. For them, they think it is banter. Okay, I'm just bantering and then going back home. So I think the more we talk about these conversations, and I don't want to see these things, especially in the, in women's football, because I know women, we have gone through so much to get here. So I hope in our own world, we can actually try And and avoid some of these mistakes because racism, I think it's something we will have to talk about continuously and not shy away from it. Inclusivity, equality. We've not even said about equal pay. That is always a different topic on its own. But the more we talk about it, I hope the world can hear and the world can listen and act on it. Speaking of the women who have been before us, Ariane, I would love to know some of the role models you've had in your career now as you speak, when you're transitioning, you know, from the pitch now to off-pitch and still continue to help other women in the sport. I would love to know about such uh, people in your life.
2: Yeah, so that was a great change from like a really intense topic, Sean. I give you a lot of credit for that because we could probably keep going for so long. But So for me, it's always really interesting because obviously I'm a different generation and the way I grew up playing was different. But actually, as a little girl, I had female soccer player role models. The 99 Women's World Cup happened in my backyard. I was at that game, I saw Brianna Scurry, who was such a badass, and I always thought she was the coolest goalkeeper, in the goal, save the penalty kicks, which maybe that's why I got all my confidence for, for wanting to play and be the hero in penalty kicks. I saw Brandy Chastain rip off her shirt and show the world her six-pack and like how strong <laughs> it could be among like, Mia Hamm, Jenna McMillan, and it was really funny because Last year, two years ago, I was actually on stage with Shannon McMillan, and, and before it started, and, and we were both speaking about the same topic, I came up to her and I was like, you were one of my heroes. I like, I caught your Shingard after the World Cup game, uh, like your poster was on my wall, and then she kind of looked at me and I'm like, I'm sorry if I'm aging you, but we're probably not even that far apart in age, but like you, the 99 women showed me that women could play football and. And growing up, I would tell people I was going to be a professional football player and it didn't exist. But I saw those women play on TV that whole tournament. And and then I saw those women go on Oprah and and get interviewed and be stars in America. And that's what I wanted. So even though I'm almost 40, I was able to grow up with these role models, which was amazing to me. and And I'm so thankful and happy I did. So I feel like I've always had I know some things I've done, I'm the first, but I don't really feel like the first because I've always seen women who were cooler and badass and strong and empowering before me. Um, And it's the same when it comes to going into the business side. Like there's a lot of women, there's not as many as we'd like, but there are women working at high positions and having a seat at the table in the world and not just women's football, but football and sports in general. And so I love seeing them. I love seeing... That the the president of uh, Washington, the the MLS team, is a woman. I've I've, I've had conversations with her. I love that Lena Suluku was just became the the top dog at Roma. That's amazing. Like Lisa Klavesna standing up in front of all of FIFA and and giving the perspective of her country. Um, like there's there's a lot of women that I love seeing and, and some like. I don't always agree with everything women say from politics to football and that's okay um, but I still love seeing them having the courage to step up and say what they believe and and giving this opinion to the world for me this is amazing and it's always inspiring and it helps me to to want to stand up and give my opinion and going back to what you said women I like that we can come together and have conversations but I don't think we have to pretend that we all agree like I think through open communication thing. and discussion is super important as long as you do it with respect and give people the chance to share their opinion. But I don't I don't have to agree with your opinion. And it's better if we don't always agree, so then we can find a common ground and, and make a solution. Not all women should believe that everything should be the same for
1: yeah. all countries or all sports or all of these things. True. I totally agree. And um I think we can also what I want to say, as long as we have the conversations, what you just said. Uh, with respect and also ready to listen because not all the time we're, we're going to be right. And I think that that will help the women's game move a step forward. And you've just mentioned one um, person I admire the most and that is Lisa. I know it is so sad. I can't even believe that there's no woman um, on the executive committee of uh, UA- European soccer governing body that is UEFA. Uh, it's sad, but what she did will always go down in, in, in history. And I remember I had a chat with her Uh, We had a chat with her before. It was just, I think, two days before the vote. And I asked Lisa, and I was like, I mean, Liz, I was like, Liz, why didn't you go? There's always like a position for, you know, a lady and all that. Why didn't you just go for that specific seat? Uh, But you had to contest in this other seats that, you you know, the men are going to. And she said, no, Sean, I'm not going to take another opportunity from another lady. I have to actually come in. And 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 have to show people, have to show young girls. You can actually go for these, you know, big positions. You can actually go and try your best. Unfortunately she didn't get it. But what she did, I think will always go down in history as the woman who tried, the woman who who spoke for millions and millions of other women. And I hope we can see some change in UEFA soon. We won't go into that politics again. Uh but that brings me to my other point about leadership in this positions. And um I remember From this list moment, I was like, women's soccer, yeah, football, it's having a moment except in the boardroom. It's having its own moment, but except in the boardroom. So we are seeing very, you know, women being minimally represented when it comes to this big leadership roles in sport, despite, you know, we are being excited about the Women's World Cup, we're being excited how the coordinates are. And I like one thing about women's football is that I notice players in Africa can, can easily access and talk to players in Europe there's just some form of you know synergy which which I'm enjoying to see unlike you know when it comes to the men's sport it's a bit cuz you know of levels and all that but for women even when you reach out to a big name they are very you know open and very quick to advise and and listen so why do you think this is still happening where well, we don't have so many women in those top leadership positions? Because, you know, some of them might come. Um, you have done it. You, you you at least you have gone for it. Why are women still shying away? Or why do you think they're not getting into these positions, Eliana?
2: Yeah. So I think, again, so much societal change that we need to happen, but there's a lot of reasons for this. Um, to go back to the course that I did where I was the only woman, um, the course is actually led by, by a very cool woman who wanted it to be 50-50 men and women And, uh, like over 500 men applied for 30 spots and three women applied. And I was one of those women. And to be honest, one of the prerequisites was to have an executive position in football. And at that moment I did not have an executive position. I worked in football, I worked at PSG, but I did not have a, a boardroom level job, but they chose after interviewing me that I would be able to hold my own in this room. And so that's great. And and they would let me in. So being a woman- got me into that room because I've been a man in my role, I wouldn't have been able to get in. Um, there's an issue that women don't apply for these roles. Uh, a lot of the time, it's not just people don't want women in the roles like there are a lot of male allies out there. And there are people who understand that we need a diverse room. Um, but there's not qualified women. Um, some of most of the qualified women already have current roles. And so it becomes this circular issue of, of how do we get women into the game of working in the game? How do we give them the necessary skills? So upscaling them through education courses, through leadership courses. Um, how do we give them the courage that they might be, excuse me, they might be the only woman in the world, but they can be and, and they have the set. You know, there's so many business documents about men will apply for a job if they check two boxes out of 10 and women will only apply if they check 10 out of 10 or at least nine out of 10. Um, and so these are the little things that we that we want to change, and and ironically enough, I'm actually starting a startup to try to help all of these things, to get more women into the business of sport, not just football, but across sports. How do we give them the tools and the necessities? Um, So stay tuned. Please follow me. Please start to follow our new company, Valor, because we really want to make a societal change and and give women the skill set and the tools and the confidence that they need. Uh, there was recently a really fantastic um, video going around social media, uh, and I'm going to mess up her name, so I'm just not even going to say it. We'll <laughs> you guys put it in the podcast notes later. Um, it's this fabulous woman that started Girls Who Code, and she gave a speech about imposter syndrome for women, and that imposter syndrome is something that people tell us we have. It doesn't really exist. It only exists because we're told that we're supposed to have imposter syndrome, and And now I've been really like going into it more in detail. It's so interesting. And it's even interesting from like a race or a culture because it says Black women are usually more confident and the world tells them stop being so confident. And some white women are less confident and the world tells them you're not confident enough. So no matter what we do as women, like we're not where we're supposed to be, but it's the world telling us that we're not where we're supposed to be. And so how do we all right, if you're confident, you be confident. And if you're not confident, let's help you be more confident. And it is okay to be confident. People shouldn't dim your light. Um, I'm going a little off track and I apologize. But something I always say is like, we can make bigger pies. It is not limited to my piece. And so uh, I get into a lot of conversations because I'm proud to be an American. I'm proud to be loud. I'm proud to be a woman. I'm proud that I played football. And some people will ask me about being proud and, and like, how that hurts other people. And and I fundamentally disagree. I, I like talking and I like being in the spotlight. But just because I'm in the spotlight doesn't mean the light can't be bigger for Sean to you be in the spotlight too. Like my spotlight doesn't have to turn off your spotlight and the pie doesn't have to just have my piece. We mm-hmm. just make a
1: bigger pie. Wow. Well, thank you so much for doing with this with us, Ariana Cristione. We truly celebrate you and we are cheering you on uh, with your, new, with your two babies, we can't wait uh, to just see how everything goes. We celebrate you. We are proud of you. Thank you for literally giving back to society. That is what I wanted to say. Um, you just didn't stop with the playing unit. So you actually went ahead and decided, this is how I can help um, my fellow women. This is how we move the women's sport, the women's game uh, steps forward. So thank you so much for that. And we wish you the very best here at the Africa Business of Sport podcast. Um, we're here to cheer you on. We're here to support you. So anything throw our way and we'll definitely push it. Have a lovely time and thank you for also just giving us your time.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you guys are doing and giving a spotlight to women and women's football.